I'm going to lie, I love that RV. It's kind of fun to watch it move around. Anybody a camper? Anybody a camper? Anybody a lot camper? Yeah, I like camping. It's fun, dude. All right. Um, that's nothing to do with what we're talking about. That song, though, I love the band, but that song, his name, his name cannot be overcome. I just, real quick, this is not the message, but how many times do you say the name Jesus outside of a service like this? How many times during the week do you mention the name Jesus? How many times do you like verbally in your mind to mention the name Jesus, but out loud mention the name Jesus? Like if it's true that his name cannot be overcome, if his name scatters the darkness and all these things, do we say his name? So I want you to be thinking about that this week. His name, it's not just a word. It's not just a name like you and I. It's a name that does something. So just remember that. Use his name more often. Let's talk about Jesus a lot more. Remember that moms and dads in your homes Let's talk about Jesus a lot in our homes. All right. Hey, so what if I were to tell you that the elders met this past week and they said, we've got a few changes and to become a member at South Point, now you have to profess your allegiance to the Buckeye Nation. <laughs> Men, you got to wear skinny jeans and uh, ladies, you got to wear a dress. You guys be in for it? Like, yeah, South Point, I'm in, right? Don't worry. It's not happening. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't, don't, hey, don't be posting stuff yet online. I'm not kidding. Um, but have you ever run into something like that? You know, like kind of legalistic, man-made kind of traditions that people have and kind of hold over you? Have you ever you experienced that? I know I have. I know a lot of people have. Well, it, it, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. As a matter of fact, in the early church, it was even more extreme, if you can believe it. We're going to talk about that in a second. If you have a Bible, we'd love for you to open up Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, we're going to start with verse 1. Or open, up, open it up on your phone, like online, or the words will be on the screen. I'm going to be using the NIV, just so you know. That's the fifth letter in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. If you missed the message last week when we started this series called Going Mobile, I would encourage you to go to the website. You can check out, watch the video online, or listen to the podcast. So uh, this division, these man-made traditions, it kind of began in Antioch, all right? There's this church in Antioch, which was the home base for Paul and Barney or Barnabas um, that we're kind of following uh, right now in Acts chapter 15, 16. And so um, they're in Antioch, this church. Paul and Barnabas went out for this missionary journey. They come back home to tell everybody what had happened, all the amazing things that had happened. And there begins to be some uh, kind of disputes, some things that are going on within the church. And this is where we pick up in chapter 15. Remember, Paul and Barnabas went to these Gentile nations for the very first time to share the gospel with them. So God was doing amazing things. So chapter 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the unbelievers, unless you're circumcised uh, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, you thought having to root for the Buckeyes was difficult? <clears throat> Uh, some serious sensitive surgery in order for you to get to hear Jesus, buddy, all right? Like, uh, the lady is like, ah, oh, what's the big deal? The guys are like, yeah, I don't know what's up with this. This is weird. What was happening was this a cultural thing. So in the early church for the first few years, almost every believer was Jewish, which was like a nationality. You were Jewish and they became Christians because they set aside the old covenant, the Old Testament, for Jesus, who brought this new covenant, this new testament. And so they said yes to Jesus, which means kind of putting aside the old and, and, and following Jesus. But some were having trouble, having a hard time letting go of the old. They wanted to hold on to the old rules, the old rituals, traditions, the things that they were accustomed to, and still keep Jesus don't work that way, but they were struggling with that. And so that's why these things, and so they were basically saying, in order to become a Christian, you have to first become a Jew. 
which means snippy snip, all right? That's what was happening. This was the struggle that they were having. Verse 2, because Jesus didn't teach this, and Paul and Barney knew this, so this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So there is dispute, a couple things. One, it's okay to dispute. Like sometimes we can disagree on certain matters that aren't that essential. Like what day is Jesus coming back? Don't know. People can have different things. What color should the chairs be? There's things that we can discuss and even disagree on, but there are some things that we cannot disagree on because they are essential. This is one of those essential things because this comes down to how are we saved? Is it by what Jesus has done or is it that we have to do something on our own to earn it? essential. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. We can't disagree on this one. There has to be unity. And so the church recognizes that there's a struggle here. So they send Paul and Barnabas down over 300 miles to Jerusalem to to the apostles to actually get, okay, you guys settle this for us. What's the truth when it comes to this matter? This is a big deal. So uh, they were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders. Verse 3, the church sent them on their way. As they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. It's funny that this just keeps coming up in public conversation, right? It's just an awkward thing that we don't talk a whole lot about, but they did because, again, this is a cultural thing, a very big deal. The Pharisees, you might have remembered their names or that, that word from the New Testament with Jesus. Jesus had to deal with the Pharisees a lot. These are Jewish people, Jewish men, who were leaders... And they had like Jew, they had Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes. So they're different kind of like sects or classes or like um, almost like Republican Democrat kind of. But they were like illegal but also religious leaders in the Jewish culture. These were Pharisees and they were very legalistic and they added a lot of man-made laws on top of God's laws in the Old Covenant. Now here, I want you to, this is very important. We, we, South Point, we Christians, we read the Old Testament. We believe in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the infallible word of God. It's just not our covenant. Our covenant is the one that Jesus brought. So we're no longer under the law of Moses. We don't go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship anymore. It doesn't even exist anymore. We don't sacrifice lambs and goats for our forgiveness. We don't, we're not required to do Jewish, uh, Jewish celebrations and festivals. We're not Jewish. We're Christian. Because faith, uh, Christian means we have faith in Christ. So now we are one in Christ. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile. It's in Christ and Christ alone. He is where our faith is in and also he is what brings unity. So again, these are things that they were really struggling with. People do today as well. Um, So the Pharisees bring this up. Verse six, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. This is hard for us to understand how big of a moment this was. This was huge, epic, massive a hinge point in history for the church and for the world. What's going to happen with Christianity? This decision changes things. What will they decide? People, this would have been huge. And so the elders, I mean, the apostles set aside and they look at God's word and they decide what, what, what they have to make a decision. here. Verse six, verse seven. Uh, but after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. 
Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So I don't know if you remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter was the first one that God sent to go speak to Gentiles. He went to the house of Cornelius and he shared the gospel with Gentiles who were turning to God, asking about God, and they received Christ as their Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were saved. So Peter's reminding them, remember, this isn't new. God sent me back in Acts chapter 10, about 10 years prior to this moment, to go preach to the Gentiles. So he's reminding everybody of that. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them, the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us Jews. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? Notice he's saying that he's testing God. This is a big deal. Why are you trying to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Again, tough for us to hear and understand because we don't, we didn't live in this culture. He's talking about the law, the old covenant, the old Testament law, like the 10 commandments and the old, old covenant laws. He said, none of us, there's not a single Jew that has ever lived that has kept those laws. They're all lawbreakers. And scripture says every single one of us, every single human being that's ever lived, we're all lawbreakers. None of them. We've all broken every single one of those Ten Commandments and then some, either in deed, in action, or in desire. The law is an anchor, a yoke. It's a heavy weight that we cannot carry, an expectation that we cannot meet, and so it's drowning us, it's sinking us, it's killing us, it's destroying us. The law was never meant to save us. And that's what they were struggling with. The law is good, but the law can't forgive you. The law can't make you good. The law can't give you eternal law, eternal life, and the law can't die on your behalf. What the law does is show you how far you are removed from the perfect godly standard of holiness. The law helps me understand, helps us recognize how much we are in need of a savior, of forgiveness of grace. That was the intent, the purpose of the law. But the Jews began to trust in the law to save them. And by doing these things, they would be saved, as opposed to it shows them their need for a Messiah. That's what he's talking about. So verse 11, he says, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) Imagine he's wagging his finger too. No, says, no. We believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. This was huge. I mean, this is a game changer. We are saved by grace and by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ, which is exactly what Jesus teached, taught. <laughs> My grammar there. It's exactly what he taught. They didn't change it. Understand, there would have been a lot of pressure from those Jewish believers who had lots of influence, probably lots of money. The apostles knew they needed to stick true to scripture. They said, no, we're only saved by grace. So verse 12, the whole assembly became silent. See, what happened is Peter got up and spoke. And then now after Peter spoke, uh, Barnabas and Paul get their chance to kind of share about their missionary journey that they did. Because now, remember, they're in Jerusalem now, not in Antioch. So they get to share everything that happened when they were on their missionary journey with the people here in Jerusalem. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul tell about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. I just want to pause real quick because I tell you what, God is doing amazing, miraculous things all over the world and you just don't know it. 
because you didn't, you're not looking for it. I want you to know, like, go, go, go online, like persecution.com, persecution.com, or search up Open Doors, an organization that serves, these are both organizations, the Voice of the Martyr, that serve the persecuted church all over the world. Like, go online, listen to what God is doing in other parts of the world. It is amazing mind-blowing. It's miraculous to see what God is doing in places like Myanmar, in Colombia, in North Korea, in China, in Vietnam, in Malaysia, all over the world, even in places in Central America and Mexico. It's amazing to see and hear what God is doing. And they were stunned. They were in awe. They were silent. They couldn't get enough because they were hearing what God was doing. And when you hear and see what God is doing, it changes you. And maybe just maybe you're not realizing what is happening around the world because we're just stuck in our bubble here. Go. See what God is doing in the world. Paul and Barnabas share them. And part of the reason why they're sharing is because it proves that God validates this ministry. God is doing only what God can do in their midst, which proves that God is okay, is good with this ministry. Verse 13, when they finished... Paul and Barnabas, then James spoke up. James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. So remember, Jesus and um, James shared mother, Mary, but their father would have been different because Jesus didn't come from Joseph. So they're half-brothers. James is one of the early church leaders, and then he, become, he begins, the, he, he, later he writes the letter of James in the New Testament. He speaks up and says, Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, who is Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to, intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. And then he quotes the Jewish scriptures in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. Amos, I think chapter 9, actually, to prove kind of this point. He says, after I will return, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. So this was a prophecy about, so the prophet Amos was talking about in the future, the Messiah, the Christ is going to come to save the people of Israel from their sins. And when he comes, he's going to rebuild the temple. In King David's time, the temple was the tabernacle, the tent. But later, now it's the church, which is not a physical building, it's a community, it's a people. It's people all over the world who confess Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is the church, and it's made up of Jews and Gentiles. And seated on the throne of this church, of this temple, this body, is the Messiah. Jesus was the descendant of David, physically. And he is the Messiah that now reigns, sits on the church. This is his church. So he's using the Jewish scriptures to the Jewish audience to show once again that Jesus is this Messiah that our faith is now in. Verse 19, and this is probably the most important verse here. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Notice it doesn't say we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles. It says we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Got to pause for a moment. Imagine, because this hits home, it's going to hit home. 
Imagine your faith, like your spiritual journey being like a ladder, right? So imagine there's a ladder right here. And you know how a ladder works. Like the taller it is, the more rungs, the more steps that are on the ladder. And in the bottom of the ladder, there's always like the lowest rung, right? The one that's easiest to step up on. And then you have one that's a little higher and then higher. And then however high, however tall the ladder goes, obviously they go higher. So imagine it's not like as you're going up this ladder, you're getting better, you're more perfect. It's just that you're becoming more mature in Christ. You're, you're, you're becoming more and more like Christ. And then after you've climbed for a while, after you've been a Christian for a while and you've matured in your faith for a while, you know, you're up on like five, six rungs, wherever. You're up there near the top or in the middle somewhere. And you look down on people like maybe me or whoever else, right? And sometimes we have the propensity to take off those bottom rungs for everybody else. Well, in order for you to get on the ladder with me, you need to have the same devotion that I have the same desire that I have, the same commitment that I have. You need to serve in all the same ministries. You need to like the same music. You need to wear the same shirts. You need to speak the same language. That word that you use, you got to stop using that, right, to get on this ladder with me. We begin to make people look like us in order to get on this faith thing. And see how quickly we twisted it. Instead of Jesus being the one that's our example, you begin to be the example. You're the one who's making the rules. You're the one who's setting the requirements. And it's the same as what they were doing. You've got to become Jewish before you can meet this Jesus guy. You've got to speak our insider Christianese language before you come into these doors. Well, that shirt, that ain't going to make it, buddy. You've got to change your wardrobe. Listen, this is not watering down the gospel. This isn't we should not be like Jesus and our morals and values and character doesn't matter. This is for those that are turning to God. Are you putting up man-made religion and traditions before the gospel? Because as soon as you do that, you making yourself the savior. You get to determine what is most important, what saves them. And it begins to be about what we do, not about Christ. And the, the sad thing is you got that bottom rung when you came. You were allowed to take all those little bitty steps and yet you don't want to let anybody else take them. And oftentimes what happens is in the church world sometimes people, you know, when you're up on these top rung, these top rungers up there, whatever, people have been Christians for a long time, you begin to cater to other people like yourself. Well, let's make church comfortable for everybody like us. And we begin to forget. Now think about others, outsiders, non-believers. It happens all the time, and it happened then. You know, Jesus, man, Jesus was different. Jesus was a people magnet, wasn't he? I mean, do the guy, everybody loved Jesus. They didn't like him, but they loved him. Like, they were magnet. Prostitutes would go to Jesus. Sinners, tax collectors, the children, everybody would come to Jesus. Even though they were different. They might not have agreed with everything he said, but that's the way the church should be, Right? Like, people should be able to come here. And before they walk into the building, you know, come as you are, right? You don't have to wear the right shirt, say the right words. Just let's come in here and talk about Jesus. And you can walk out of here. Hopefully, people should be able to walk away from here hearing the truth, the gospel, and saying, you know, I don't know if I agree with everything that they believe, but, man, they were nice. I enjoyed it. I love what they do for my kids. Like, are you building walls, barriers for the gospel? Or are you making the gospel accessible? Because the gospel should be accessible to all, easily accessible. 
Not just for people like you, but for everyone. The gospel. Not your gospel. Not my gospel. Not South Point's gospel. The gospel should be accessible to all. That's what they're struggling with. And that's why this meeting, and that's why this judgment, this meeting was so important. Verse 20. Um, So instead, we should write them, write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, um, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. What is up with that, right? So this is weird. Why these four random, seemingly weird things? I don't know, right? We don't exactly know everything, but we do, a couple of things are pretty obvious. One, the sexual immorality. It's been around from the beginning of time. Back in this day and time, sex was just a thing. You did it with anybody, wherever, whenever. It didn't matter. It was just a way to satisfy yourself. It was a craving that you needed to satisfy. Doesn't that sound a lot like what you hear today? So Christians need to be reminded that sex is not just this thing, this toy, this innocent little, it's special, it's reserved for marriage between a husband and a wife. The, the, the blood and the strangled kind of meat and all this kind of stuff, well, the difference between strangled meat and butchered meat is that when you butcher something, you drain the blood from it. Strangled animal, does not, the blood is not drained from it, right? There is hundreds of years before Moses, God said this, and I think it was a was it Genesis chapter 9, verse 4? said that uh, anything, with, don't eat any meat with blood still in it, the lifeblood that is still in it. So blood is different in the sense that somehow it's connected with like our sin. It's, it's representative of our whole life. So like we say Jesus' blood was shed for us, which is the same thing as saying he gave his whole life for us. So there's something special about the lifeblood that is in us, but also in a pagan culture, in, in this culture in particular, a lot of people would go to the temple these, for the, uh, and worship these idols, and as part of the feast, they would have a goblet, a chalice of blood, and they would drink it, and they're toasting to the gods. So it's common practice. And today, in this culture, and today in our world, cults all over the world still practice that. There's something about this blood thing. In, in horror movies, there's something about this blood things. So that's, there's something. Paul later writes about eating that meat that was um, sacrificed in those temples. And when it goes to market, so after like a goat goes to the temple and it's sacrificed, then they would put the leftovers in the market and people would buy it the next day, right, to eat at their own homes. Paul says it's okay to eat that meat unless you're sitting with someone who struggles. They know where it came from and their like faith is hindered or hurt by recognizing that that was sacrificed at a temple. And Paul says, listen, it's nothing wrong with that meat, but for the sake of that person, don't, just, don't, just don't eat it right then. So what we see here is not so much about it was, whether it was sacrificed or not, it was participating probably at the temple in these festivals, in these rituals, partaking of the blood. So for us, it's still something to remember. Anybody like their meat raw, their steaks raw? Anybody? My mom is like the redder, the better, right? So that's what her, I'm more of like a medium kind of guy. Don't worry. All the meat in America, pretty much all of it is butchered and drained, not strangled. So you're pretty good either way, but we probably shouldn't be eating meat straight off the carcass from an animal. As cool as it might sound, right? Probably shouldn't do that. And like, Hey, don't drink cups of blood. So sometimes you joke, like, I don't know. It's something we should probably stay away from. There's something about it. So here's what they said. They sent this 
So that then they're going to send this. Remember, they still have to go back to Antioch and report all of this stuff that's happening. There's people back at Antioch, like on pins and needles, like, dude, do I have to have this surgery or not? Like, come on. So then verse 22, then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Bersabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, I love how they put your brothers. You know how like when you can feel like, ah, oh, those are those elite people down there at Jerusalem, all those special people. No, we're your brothers. We're family. Anyways, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul. Again, verifying how great Paul and Barnabas were all brothers in Christ. Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So they write this letter. Paul and Barnabas, Silas and Judas take it down. They read it to the church at Antioch. So these, these men were sent off, went down to Antioch, verse 30, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. This letter would have been read in that church and all the surrounding churches would have been sent by all the Gentile churches and there would have been probably much rejoicing. Whoo! <laughs> Don't have to have that surgery except for the people that were like ahead of the class. Like they went ahead and had it anyways early. Like, oh man, that stinks. Um, the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Yes. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. Totally a selfish point to be made here. But, and it says here, um, said much to encourage them. You know what that means, right? It was a long sermon. That's what that means. It was a really long sermon. So, hey, sometimes sermons have to be long. Anyways, after spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. They sent them away, like back to Jerusalem with a blessing, probably encouraging words, gifts, but also some financial gifts to make sure that they were taken care of to get back home. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. This, you cannot overestimate, overstate how important this moment was. Is this just a Jewish sect kind of thing? Or is this this kingdom mo movement that's for all people of all generations, of all nations? We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And that's the only way by which we may be saved. That was huge. Our big idea is we should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. What about you? Are you making it difficult for people turning to God? Either by not living like a Christian so that they don't even know what it looks like and they can think that like a hypocritical, doesn't really matter, doesn't change your life. Or by changing things and adding rules and regulations. Well, once you look like this, then you can. Are we making it difficult for people to turn to God or not? And it really begins with one decision. Are you going to say yes to Jesus or yes to something else? Like where is your faith going to be in? The song we sang earlier, it's in your name. Your name is powerful. It's in the name of Jesus where we find our hope and our salvation. Where do you find your hope and salvation? 
It's only in the name of Jesus what we, we see in scriptures where you can be confident. You can't do this. You can't earn this. Honestly, being, becoming a Christian is easy. But living a Christian life is hard. And so sometimes we want to add to it. Seriously, I just have to, I have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, profess my faith, repent and be baptized, and that's it, I'm saved. Like, there's got to be more, right? What are the strings attached? No, that's, it's not complicated. That's what scripture says. Don't add to it. And that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. So like at baptism, in baptism, he gives us that gift that indwelling the Holy Spirit because he knows we need it because living like Christ is difficult. So maybe today is the day for you to say yes to Jesus. Have this hope and eternal life for your sins to be removed from you. If that's you, if you want to talk to someone about it, please text us or email us your name to the information that's going to be on the screen. That works for you, everybody online and here in person. Or if you're online, there's a couple of buttons you can click, some links that you can click to connect with us here in person. After the service, you can meet with one of our friends out in the lobby by the point, by the main entrance. Um, after this service, and we'd love to talk with you, pray with you, um, help you take whatever next step maybe it is to get you ready for baptism today or soon in the near future, or maybe help you know how to do a baptism at home or whatever it is. Like today, respond to what God is calling you to do, even if it's as simple as commit to come back next week, whatever that next step is. I want to take the last few moments here to celebrate, like I said earlier, our missions, uh, the work that they are doing around the world. This month in February, we usually take it aside to celebrate what God is doing through the missions that you at South Point we support. And so we kind of bunch them into three categories. The first one is church planning, which literally means church planning. And we celebrated that last week with two organizations that are planning churches in the Great Lakes region and in Canada. And the second one is uh, compassion outreach, which we're going to celebrate here in just a few moments. And the next week we'll talk about global evangelism, which really encompasses all the other ways that we send ministers and missionaries out into the world to share the gospel with other people. Today, again, we're focusing on compassion outreach. Two organizations that we're going to highlight. One is IDES, International Disaster Emergency Services. And they exist for five main focuses. Uh, one, uh, evangelism, disaster response, hunger relief, development and sustainability, and medical care. You're going to get to see some video, some footage about some of the things that they do. And these are, I'm just going to read to you some of the things they've been involved in in just the past month. Some of the projects, uh, they've been uh, prepping and shipping 259,200 meals to Afghanistan. Another container is heading to Panama and Kenya. They provided funds for farmers to replant after locust devastation in Thailand and Haiti, food distribution in Myanmar, continuing a water project, helping refugees, providing food and blankets and repairing homes in Pakistan, providing food for orphans and widows, along with distributing Bibles. ICE has been very active in the fight against COVID-19 as well, giving over uh, 1 million in COVID aid here and in 39 countries around the world for food, medical supplies, protective equipment, and much more to those in need. Your assistance has, been, has given IDES mission partners the opportunity to share the gospel and love of Christ with many. So thank you. The other mission of Compassion Outreach that we support is actually kind of a spinoff of a lot of the ministries that we've done here at South Point. It's become a nonprofit called Go Impact 360. Uh, all the board members are comprised of members of South Point Church. And here's a video with some info. What's up, South Point? Hey, thank you for partnering with Go Impact 360. 2020 was definitely a challenging year, but thank you for your support in helping us continue to go, make significant impact in communities. 
uh, meeting the physical, mental, and spiritual needs. Hey, thanks to your partnership here, just a few things that we were able to accomplish in 2020. Uh, in Detroit, we were able to help local churches connect with local resources for their people uh, during the COVID pandemic. Also, we were able to help one church get their online services started, including online giving for the very first time. Uh, in Down River, we were able to encourage and give sm- uh, a few small gifts to over 700 uh, local uh, Down River teachers. And then we sent out 40 leaders with 40 different teams with about 400 volunteers to provide over 1,500 uh, hours of service to um, about 12 different organizations, and we were able to rake over 100 yards, um, all in downriver right in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, so that was a part of Go Serve. And then in Romania, we were able to double our efforts in our grocery program, our monthly grocery program. So we provided over $5,000 to about 20 families who were in extreme poverty to provide uh, monthly support, uh, food, groceries, and also additional families during the pandemic in, Ro- in Romania. We provide partial, partial scholarships to three students in Romania, uh, provided various needs for lots of students to provide them the school supplies that they could not afford to make sure they didn't drop out. And then also we provided $1,200 in emergency aid to the local church to help families uh, that were in desperate need. 2020 was challenging, but we realized that our, our power is not in our programs, but in people who choose to go make an impact. So 2021, uh, what we're looking to do is to empower as many people who have a calling and desire to find out how you can go make an impact in the world around you. Nothing can stop that. Thanks, South Point. You can be in two places at one time, right? So, hey, thank you for your support. Here's, so here's the deal, right? Next Monday, February, from February 22nd to the 28th, uh, every dime, dollar, penny, nickel, whatever comes in is going to be going towards these organizations and others. Everything goes away out of the building to these missions to make sure that other people in the world get to hear the gospel, that the gospel is accessible to everyone. And you get to partner with us, partner with those organizations so that we can be a part of it, but also celebrate in what God is doing and will continue to do. So between February 22nd, which is next Monday, to the 28th, I'm encouraging you. I'm asking you to pray about how you want to be a part of this. I really encourage you to be, give more than you would normally give. And we're going to love to see us double or even triple what we do on a regular basis so that all of these organizations and ministries can be kind of like what they said. They were blessed. They were given a blessing of peace when they sent Paul and Barnabas uh, or they sent Judas and Silas back. Let's give a blessing of peace to these workers, these organizations that truly are doing phenomenal things. And please don't forget to go online and begin to hear some of these stories so that you can see what God is doing and be inspired in, in all of what he does. So I encourage you between February 22nd and 28th to be a part of our celebration of generosity to those organizations, those missions. Today, I'm encouraging you to continue your giving and efforts to South Point, the ministry here at South Point, to win down River to Christ. So I want to encourage you, if, you've, if this is your first time or you're new around here, please don't feel obligated to give anything. Um, but if you are a South Pointer, I just want to let you know, encourage you that your giving is making an impact here in Down River. It's helping us win down River to Christ week in and week out, more and more lives becoming um, connecting with Christ here in the gospel. So whether you give online in the give boxes and mail, however, thank you for your partnership. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray right now. And that's in preparing you. If you've never said yes to Jesus or maybe you're considering it during this prayer, I just want you to know he's listening. He really, he hears you. Um, whether you say words out loud or in your head, like he's listening. And if you're a believer, I think he's probably challenging you right now. Whether it's people that you need to go to this week, people that you've been adding fences or maybe regulations or traditions, but I think he's calling us to do something. So during this prayer, I encourage you, be listening. 
and talking to God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. It allowed us to know that we, we were made in the image of God. We chose to rebel, to walk away from you. So that made us deserving of eternal separation of you. But then you sent in your infinite grace and mercy, you sent your son to live a perfect life. He did all the hard work. He lived the perfect life. He was beaten, mocked, spit on, crucified. And then in your infinite power, you raise him from the dead to overcome even death. So that death doesn't have a hold over us. So that now we know that we can be confident in having eternal life in you through your son, Jesus. So if there's anyone here today that's hearing this or watching this, and maybe has never placed their faith in Christ, I'm encouraging maybe they're hearing your voice, that conviction, a prick in their heart to say, you know what, I, man, I want to know this Jesus guy. Maybe they've heard all kinds of regulations and religion kept them away, but now they're true God want to respond in faith. Maybe there's some here that have already said yes to Jesus, but honestly, we have not been making it easy for people to hear the gospel. Maybe we've actually been making it difficult. God, convict us right now, if that's us. Convict us by your Holy Spirit to let us know when we are adding those traditions, when we are making something more important than your word. Also, put a name in our head or names in our heads of people that we need to go to, share this gospel with, maybe apologize. So please take a moment right now, God, to, to give us some names, put some people in our head. No matter what you're calling us to, God, I pray that we all leave this place closer and more committed to becoming like you and going mobile with this faith so that everyone has a chance to hear the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.